You are Locked On Seminoles, your daily podcast on the Florida State Seminoles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Whenever you find yourself listening to this, welcome to Locked On Seminoles. I'm your host, Max, and in just a couple moments, I'm going to be joined by Drake and Michael Alford. That's right. Michael Alford, the CEO of the Florida State Boosters, is going to be sitting down with Drake and myself, virtually, of course, for a two-part interview series. Part one today, part two tomorrow. We cover a wide range of topics, including his in impressive resume. He's worked at the Dallas Cowboys, the Oklahoma Sooners. He was at Alabama when they hired Nick Saban, uh, which is actually probably one of my favorite parts. We we talk about the similarities between where Bama was pre-Saban and where we are now. He gives great perspective on that. Uh, we talk about the pressures on his youngest daughter. She may be the first one in the family. That's right. Him, his wife, and his two older daughters have all played D1 sports, and the younger one's not 100% sure if she wants to do it yet. So, you know, talk about some pressure. We we dig into a wide range of topics. It's an incredible interview. And folks, I've told everyone since we did this interview, if you sit down with Michael Alford, don't bring your checkbook because you're going to spend some money. I mean, this guy is impactful. He's motivational. And he is the type of person that I am proud to say is leading such an esteemed organization as the Florida State Boosters. So without further ado, let's head on over to Drake, myself, and Michael Alford. Well, we're just going to dive right in. We're, we'll have like a little pre-recorded intro, but in in the interest of your time, uh, I think we'd just like to start by sort of going through your resume. Um, we're looking we're looking through it, and I, and I've got this handsome guy looking back at me on a baseball card from Mississippi State. Which, <laughs> yep. <laughs> so so you played a little bit of baseball in high school. Uh, yep. Or in college. Uh, and then you got your master's at Arkansas, and then you went to Cincinnati yes, from there. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay, so so you started out there at, at University of Cincinnati and then with the Bengals. You started out more in the marketing ticket sales side. And then correct. how did you transition from that to the associate athletic director position at USC? Oh, well, I was with the Bengals and overseeing their – call that external, right? Um, sweet sales, sales. Uh, marketing and then uh, young and my wife's from Laguna Beach California and she was the head volleyball coach at University of Cincinnati and she we had two a daughter uh, in Cincinnati and she said I'd like to move home and I'd been playing golf with USC's athletic director Mike Garrett whenever I went back there and uh, I said hey Mike if opportunity ever comes Laura and I would like to move back to Southern California not put our feet in concrete but come home and uh he created kind of an opportunity for me and then she also had an opportunity at the same time to be the head coach at uc irvine oh that's Volleyball. awesome oh, that's dope now is she still coaching or she's not she's a uh um, so she coaches me every day uh, <laughs> that's probably a lot harder than coaching volleyball i'd imagine <laughs> but she does still do clubs so uh we have a unique family so i have a daughter, she actually just got back from Spain. She went over, she played professionally this last year in Spain, volleyball, so she's home. I have a daughter uh, who plays at Central Michigan University. Well, that's a fantastic hit rate, having three play college sports. I know that you got to be super <laughs> proud of them. So when you, when you were at USC, it looks like you did an incredible yeah. job. I mean, it's funny. And I'll, and I'll tell you a funny story. So my one daughter's getting recruited, right? 
uh, and she's a small D1, D2 player because uh, of her son. So I played D1. My wife played D1 at Hawaii. Uh, it was All-American at Hawaii. And my two daughters played D1. She said that. I'm going to be the only one in the family that's not a D1 college. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of pressure, though, right? She's like got most a lot of families. pressure. We're trying to keep it. Right. Like most people are like, oh, I'm the only one in my family to ever play D1. Yours is like, oh, you're the only one not to. But so. Yeah, the- USC. You had a question about Southern Cal. Oh, yeah. I mean, it just looks like you did a you did a fantastic job there. I mean, we pulled some numbers and you increased, you know, basketball ticket revenue by 56%. Corporate sales were up 57%. Um so you yes. did an amazing job there. You went over to ESPN for a bit. And then the stop I really want to dig into is the University of Alabama. I think okay. most people who look at your resume, they see Alabama, Oklahoma, Dallas Cowboys. They think, hey, he's been at these big money stops. But I think the time you were at Alabama is really interesting. When you got to Alabama in 04 to 08, they went 29 and 21 in those first four years. In the two years before you right. got there – They'd been 14 and 12 coming off a four and nine campaign. They'd had only two SEC championships in 12 years, which is not the Alabama we know today. So what similarities mm-hmm. do you see between where Alabama was then and kind of where Florida state is now with, with you joining our program? That's a great analogy. And uh, they are very similar. You have, you have rapid fan bases who love their institution, love their program. And the program's just not beating the history or the past at the time. Uh, so you, you come in and I uh, worked alongside athletic director Mal Moore at the, uh, there, who is now passed and is, is really like a father figure to me. Uh, such a great man. And you do an evaluation of programs, and, and he trusted in me to, to assist him in that evaluation because of the different places I'd been and coaches I'd hired and really dive into what, you know, some programs, I was on an interview with Dennis Dodd yesterday, and he was asking me a similar question. I said, Dennis, sometimes you, when you evaluate a program, some need a transformation and some need a transition. Uh, so there's two different styles to look at it. And that one at the time needed a transformation. We, we, Mike Shula was a, uh, still is a great coach uh, and had really recruited well, but the, it just wasn't quite clicking at the time. Um, okay. And we had various, various scenarios, okay, going, okay, we're, we're close. Now, you got to remember at that time, too, Alabama was coming off severe probation penalties. And mm-hmm. he had done a great job recruiting with less scholarships to offer. And so we said, this program right now, after evaluating it, need a transformation. And that's when we went out and uh, was able to acquire Coach Saban to come to the university. And did that pretty much take care of itself with that fan base once you brought Nick Saban in? Or did, was there more behind-the-scenes work to get the boosters reengaged, get the fan base reengaged? Uh, you go through the process. You, you go through and you share your vision. Uh, you, you talk to coach and you make sure, one, before they, any coach comes in, that you're on the same page and you have the same vision and the same processes to, to put in place uh, to, to take advantage of that excitement. Anytime there's change, there's excitement, right? And yeah. you have to have the processes in place during that change to go out and talk, speak, and get the, the constituents excited about and sell the vision. Every coach has a different vision. And 
but I always look at our staff and I go, as Coach Norvell, Coach Saban, Coach Carroll, as they build their programs, we need to be building with them and provide them the winning edge resources to be successful. Uh, because at the end of the day, it's about the Jimmys and the Joes and the coach. But they need to have the resources that sets that program apart from our peers, call it our competition, whatever terminology you want to use for it. But it's our job to create the excitement. It's our job to create the resources so they can go out and, and sell the university in a, even a brighter light than it already is. Absolutely. And, you know, it's no secret that Coach Norvell came in and probably one of the worst years to ever be a first head coach you could imagine with COVID. So in going into sort of year two, how are y'all recapturing that excitement of change that we sort of unfairly lost because he couldn't do booster tours last year and he couldn't be on campuses last year. So how do you kind of, again, recapture that energy and and use it to spark the fundraising that we've already started to see get sparked uh, going into this next year? Communication. Uh, when I first got here, I really put it, uh, looked at our staff and looked at the organizational structure, but really put in my core values and processes how I want to communicate. And it's really personal. We, we want to get out. We want to sit across from, from someone. We, we want to sell our vision. We want to be the voice that's, that's letting our fan base know the direction we're heading. Um, we're not going to send, I'm never going to send out a big pamphlet, never going to send out a bunch of information. I'd like to either do it on the phone or in, prefer in person, of course. And that's a different style. Uh, I, I want to sit across the table. I want to get to know someone and I want to let them know the direction we're had, heading and ask for their support. Um, I tell our staff knows, okay, not everyone's going to jump on board uh, and that's fine. Uh, but we need to continuously be looking to, to improve our processes, but more importantly, share our vision and really tell the story of the student athletes. We have 550 great student athletes on that campus who have each have a very unique story. And how many of those young men and women are the first time in their families to go to college? A lot, uh, more than you could imagine. And really that's what the annual fund does. It allows us to go and provide these leadership educational opportunities for these young men and women that can really make a difference in their lives. Cause we all know that if you graduate with a college degree, it not only changes your life. I mean, you just look at the stats it, it, it increases your earnings over a million and a half dollars in your lifetime with a college degree, no matter what field of study you're in, but it also changes your family's trajectory, your kids' expectations. So that's where the annual fund goes. And that's why when I first got here and I saw where the numbers were and where they had dipped, uh, we weren't going out selling our message about the, the benefits of just joining at the entry level uh, as an iron arrow, the benefits of where that contribution goes and how it affects uh, our ability to provide resources to these young men and women to get their degree. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a fantastic conversation we've been having with Michael Alford, but I wanted to pause for a moment and just remind you that while the Seminole Boosters need a little bit of work, there might be something else that needs a little bit of work, and that's the car sitting in your driveway. If you need to replace a bulb, fix something minor, or even do a major repair that you're doing for yourself, there's only one place you should be getting your parts from, and that's rockauto.com. RockAuto.com has an increasing number of makes, models, uh, literally anything you could possibly need. 
They've got it. Look, a store can only hold so much inventory. So you might drive all the way down to the auto parts store and they won't have what you need. And then you got to go to the next one and maybe even the next one after that. Then if you go to some other website, it's going to be a pain in the butt to navigate. You might get the wrong part. You might not get it for the right model. Something could go wrong. So save yourself the headache, save yourself the drive, go to rockauto.com and write locked on in there. How did you hear about a section? But that sort of brings me to my next, uh, my next point. You know, I think for as much as Andy Miller was an absolute legend and the boosters grew from, you know, again, a, a small independent school to the, the monolith that Florida State football became, I think one kind, of, one kind of challenge was that a lot of people started to feel like the power of the boosters was so concentrated in Tallahassee that if you lived in Miami or you lived in Tampa or you lived in Atlanta, you, you may not, you know, get the, get the love that you feel like you'd like to get if you're going to, you know, spend your hard earned money. So what are some of the things you're doing to not just make the coming to Tallahassee experience great, but make the daily experience of being a booster in one of these, uh, we'll call them far flung outposts better. Right. Yeah. That, that's a great question too. And, uh, when we got here, and, I, and I'm evaluating, but we do have a representative in Miami, Tampa, Orlando. I just put a full-time person in Jacksonville. I think that's an emerging market for us when you evaluate the numbers uh, of our alumni there, of our concentrated fan base. You look at merch. I mean, I evaluate merchandise sales and markets uh, and really take a business approach to it that – the evaluation and the data tells me we need a full-time person in Jacksonville because that's a growing market for Florida State. And so I've just recently placed a full-time person there. Of course, we have some in Tally and we have one in the Panhandle. But it's really raising the expectations of my expectations of face-to-face contact and selling the vision, as I mentioned earlier. It's it's uh, We have dashboards in my office and you'll have to come check them out. But I... I get in my office up-to-date minute on meetings, phone calls, messages from our from our um, um, development officers and, and ticket managers, who they're talking to, how many phone calls they're making a day. And I can sit there and evaluate it and really do start looking at data on how we make a difference. But it's really personal communication. I've been in Tampa four or five times. I've been in Orlando a handful of times. I've been in Miami three or four times because I also think it's important they hear from me uh, about the vision. And so I'm on my way to Jacksonville right now to meet, to meet with some of our fan base and some of our donors. So it's just very important that uh, we get out, we talk. Uh, we listen to concerns, we address concerns, uh, but we also communicate what's going on in Tallahassee, what's going on at home base, what is Coach Norvell's vision. Uh, we know I talk to, to him probably on a daily basis, and so we're in constant communication on what his goals are. He knows what my priorities are, and we're working together with A.D. Colburn to make sure that all those needs are getting addressed. And more importantly, what's the roadmap to get us there? And that's something that I think I've been very proud that our staff has really taken upon themselves to accept the change. And Andy's, as you mentioned, a legend in this industry. And just coming in behind him and maybe carrying that torch to a different level is something that we're trying to accomplish right now. That's that's good to hear because me personally, I'm, I was born and raised in the South Florida area and I'm maxing attested to you. That of uh, there's not really that large of a presence of um, engaging with alumni 
um, from the Florida State down there, especially because the uh, to me it's a little bit poor personal because twenty percent of the FSU student body has been predominantly uh, Latino. So it's very nice to hear that you're, you know you're going down there, maintaining the relationship, bridging the gap. So it's really nice to hear that uh, you say that. So, oh, it's it's very important. We fly our flag in these markets. Um, I look at market share and, and I look at our fan base and alumni base. And once again, uh, and I look at our merch sales. I look at uh, evaluate. Uh, our, when we play, what's our ratings in these markets? And, and it gives you a good uh, idea of where to put your resources and, once again, how to go about making sure that people in those markets hear you. And more importantly, you hear them and their concerns and you address them and you uh, make sure they understand where not only the athletic department, the boosters are heading, but where the university's heading and that you communicate with them on a daily basis. Yeah, and one thing I'd kind of like to call out in, in case it got lost, I don't know if this is as much of a question, but at all of your stops, like you mentioned, you've done a fantastic job of increasing revenue to the program through, you know, maximizing concession contracts, through uh, revenue sharing with advertisers, things like that. So as a booster myself, I think everyone should be excited by hearing that, you know, you're looking to put let's call it skin in the game, so to speak, where, you know, you're not just going hat in hand saying, Hey, we need y'all to step up. You're also doing everything you can to maximize how the athletic department's going to raise its own revenue. And I think that's sort of a one, two punch of, Hey, y'all are doing your part. Now us as boosters guys, let's do our part and, you know, help y'all out. So I think that's, that's such a refreshing take to hear because you don't hear many people that run a booster organization talk about how they're going to increase revenue aside from just donations. Um, so what sort of, I guess I do have a question, you know, what sort of led yes. you to that approach? Was it just your, you know, your other stops or being in the NFL where you don't have boosters? I mean, it's just, it is just such a unique take from a, a head of a boosters organization to focus on alternative revenue streams. It, yeah. It's just important when you, when you come in and do an evaluate of any business, any organization, uh, you, you, you're going to look at various ways where you can make a difference, but you can use your past experiences uh, to make a difference. And, you know, funding these facilities, funding these programs takes more than just the boosters. You know, we're a self-sustaining uh, athletic department. We get no, no assistance from student fees or, or the university for our budget. So we have to go out and create our budget. So it's really taking advantage of every revenue stream that is possible and evaluating it and then even creating some more that weren't there from my past experiences and really leaning on that to make a difference and to grow our revenue where we can provide the winning edge resources to our student athletes, which one allows them to have the opportunities with those resources to win in their sports, win on the field, track, pitch, wherever. Two, it gives them uh, better resources to graduate. Uh, and don't forget that that is that is our main mission is provide resources for these young men and women to leave with meaningful degrees in one hand and championship rings on the other. And that is our goal and our missions, the educational mission, to follow the educational mission of the university. And by doing that, it takes resources. So you yep. have to be creative. You have to evaluate it and really look at it. In some some places you, you think you're doing well and some you know you can go in and tweak uh, and provide a different set of eyes on it and maybe a different relationship with someone and that will make a difference. And that's, that's just the, the experience that I have is going in and providing those resources of that experience to make a difference in organizations. And I love, 
on, on, on top of hiring coaches. <laughs> so, well, right, exactly. And, course, you know, I, I love hearing you talk about, you know, graduating and you take folks who, you know, maybe it's their, they're the first one from their family to go to college or something like that. But even if they're not, you know, you look at the Florida State that Drake and I got into, you know, about a decade ago and academically, it's a different Florida State now. I mean, we're now a top 20 public institution. And when we yes. had someone that covers Notre Dame on our show earlier in the season, he called out one really interesting recruiting tactic that Notre Dame has is you can sit these kids down and go, hey, even if you don't go pro, look at this network of all these guys with a Notre Dame degree that have gone on to be successful in law, successful in business, successful in sales, you know, and, and I don't want to make everything selfishly about, Hey, let's get better on the field. But when you're pitching that success academically, that's going to create recruiting success five, 10 years from now, because those folks with a top 20 public school degree are going to go on to be successful in other areas and then you're going to give the kids, you know, that you're recruiting when they graduate will then have an academic network to fall back on, even if they don't go pro in their sport. You hit the nail on the head. Uh, and that is, you know, President Thrasher has done an unbelievable job with this university and getting us into the top 20. And that just helps all recruiting, not only athletics. It helps recruiting uh, the general student body. Yep. And you mm -hmm. look at the number of applications we have, and it's tough to get in FSU right now. I look at, and I'm going to butcher the numbers because I haven't seen them lately, but you're looking at over 60,000 applications for about 7,000 um, students there that get the okay to come into school. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's, it's competition. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, have gone in. Just be perfectly transparent yeah. here. <laughs> no, thank God. Uh, you know, thank, thank goodness I could hit a baseball. <laughs> um, but it's it's amazing to see what what the competition is even to get into Florida State, which really speaks well to our our faculty, uh, the president, and the leadership at our institution. And one thing I want to touch base on it's something I've really been impressed since I've been at Florida State. Um, and this is the number one question I give when we go on tour stops. Uh, are these private dinners we've done with Coach Novell because of the pandemic uh, with our donor base is the number one question I get, Michael, what's the communication been with you since you've arrived? And I can tell you the communication between President Thrasher, Chairman of the Board, Eric Burr, uh, Chairman of the, my board, the Booster Board, Bob Davis, and Athletic Director Colburn, and the coaching, it's daily. Uh, there's not a day that goes by. I don't speak to A.D. Colburn four or five times today and probably President Thrasher. Uh, so we're, the communication, the vision that they've shared, we've been able to incorporate into our processes. And everyone's on the same page moving forward and has the same vision and, and understands what the other one's doing to help get us there, not only as an athletic department, but holistically as a university. Ladies and gentlemen, look. It may feel like we are in the never-ending doldrums of the football offseason, but I'm here to tell you, like a 1600s maritimer out in the middle of the sea, we are catching a current and we will be at shore soon. But in the meantime, we've got a ton of other sports going on. Hockey and basketball are headed straight for the playoffs, baseball's in full gear, and golf is going on every single weekend. Heck, we even have the NFL draft next week. So if you like those sports and you want to put your money where your mouth is, head on over to betonline.ag. They've got odds and props on everything you could imagine. They've got a great slick interface and they're just super easy and convenient to use. One more kicker. If you use promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, when you sign up, 
They'll even give you a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So head on over to betonline.ag and tell them Locked On sent you. That's really, really nice to hear that. I mean, I've worked in compliance for the past, you know, year and a half. And that's the one thing that like my boss personally preaches to me is to make sure that these student athletes not only have the, the, the tools and resources to succeed on the field, but also do afterwards, uh, after they get a diploma, Correct. after they get the graduation. And that's the most important thing. And that's the main reason why we get into what we want to do. But I'm going to pull you back to your resume, if you don't mind, because this is probably the most oh. in- interesting thing to me about your resume is that you were with the Dallas Cowboys from 2008 to 2012, <laughs> correct? Yes, yes. That was a great, say, great time. I about to say, because like one thing about you, you're, you're basically your resume hits everything right now that we need, because specifically it looks like you were there during the construction slash design of the AT&T Stadium, or what I like to call the Death Star. Uh, one of my, <laughs> right. one of the most beautiful stadiums I think you'll ever see that in the Legion Stadium in Las Vegas. So I kind of want to ask you, how similar is the situation right now that when you were helping construct that to currently helping FSU build their football only facility right now? Because I do know that you secured like what I think it was like four hundred million dollars in contractual revenue, and you increased the partners from yes. thirty to around two hundred fifty. Yes. Uh, you know, I was fortunate enough in my previous stop when we did Paul Brown Stadium in Cincinnati, mm-hmm. uh, have, have worked in the NFL and had known the Jones family, uh, Jerry Jones Jr. in particular, okay. and I had a great opportunity when I was at the University of Alabama. We just hired Coach Saban, but we were enjoying. We just finished his first year, um, just got out of the Independence Bowl, and was really enjoying because you saw the future. You saw the change that was coming. Um, but then the Jones family reached out to me and to come in and, and lead the processes and put together my own staff to, to have the opportunity to not only work on that project, but put my ideas and concepts within that project and work side by side uh, about the fan experience and the corporations that would be involved and part of the design. So it, it was just an opportunity that when Laura and I sat down, my wife, who, who, was, who was just a saint, and I said, Laura, you know, not to make fun of the saints, but this isn't the saints calling me and offering me this position. Uh, you know, it's the Jones family. It's an opportunity to be a part of a project and, and be worked day, day in, day out and learn uh, from one of the most creative minds uh, ever when it comes to this business. And so that was the opportunity that really stood out to me and was able to, one, go in and make a difference. When I, when I look at opportunities that come, I look at, okay, does my skill set, is my skill set and what I bring to the table going to make a difference? And that was an opportunity that I thought I could go in and use my experiences on, on uh, revenue creations and building buildings and facilities and have an input at them to really make a difference. And I couldn't tell you, it was a fast six years because uh, we did the last year at Texas Stadium and then moved on to AT&T. And just that, being a part of that, going through the seasons uh, was probably the fastest time. You just kind of woke up and, and you're, you're moving to Oklahoma to start that project. But uh, we really enjoyed Dallas. I can't say enough great things about the Jones family and how great they were to my family and I, and we're still dear friends to this day. Uh, but it was a special time in my life for sure. Okay. So then 
I kind of want to ask, like, how, I guess, right now, does that experience right there help you with the current, uh, I guess, campaign to help finally get, because we've been promised an FOF for the past, I think, five to six years. <laughs> so how does that actually you know, right. help you into, you know, making sure that dream becomes a reality? Because I know I see, I've seen the booster donations, donations like going up, everything looks great. So I just want to know like, what, how does that help you exactly? Well, it's putting in the right processes. When I when I look to evaluate um, not only dollar dollars, but I, I like to build buildings um, or create buildings that have revenue streams. And I, I've been fortunate enough in my career to oversee things such as concession contracts at every stop I've been, uh, negotiate multimedia rights agreements, negotiate apparel agreements. Um, I, I've had a wide range of opportunities that has given me a vast experience and, and I've been successful at those negotiations and, and making a difference and really forming true partnerships with, with various different revenue streams. So coming in, it allowed me to one step back, look at the, the funding model that we had in place, make some adjustments to it, uh, put together a pro forma that, that is working pro forma and really puts a path for us to get to this facility and not only the football only facility we got a performer working right now where and i've hired an architectural firm to come in and look at doe campbell and, and the various revenue streams and that 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 in my experiences we're not capitalizing on so uh we're right now we're going to roll out and, and looking at how do we create various experiences within that stadium that brings us up to par with our peers across the country and when I say our peers, I'm talking the top 20 institutions, uh, attendance-wise, in uh, college football. But more importantly, I look at professional stadiums. And what experiences can we bring that when a fan or a donor comes to, to Doe Campbell, they walk out of there going, that was great. Not only was it a great product on the field, the culinary experience was first class. I was greeted in a first class manner. Uh, the ushers took care of me. I mean, that, that is where we're striving to get. And that is where I think my experiences can make a difference. Let's face it, our fan base, and Florida State's unique in this, and a lot of people don't understand this. 70% of our fans on a Saturday that come to Doe Campbell Stadium travel over 150 miles to get there. Yep. That's, a, that's a commitment. Yep. That is a weekend commitment, not only time-wise, monetary-wise. Mm -hmm. And we need to, to thank them. Uh, for that commitment of coming to Tallahassee and show them every weekend that we are putting our best foot forward to make sure they leave Tallahassee to go back to their home and had a great time. And whether, you know, whether we win or lose on the field, that, that we can control the experience they have off the field. And that's what we're really concentrating on right now. Yeah, it's great to hear you say that. You know, I it, so for background, myself and Drake actually both lived in the Washington D.C. Baltimore area. Uh, both went to Florida State for undergrad. I grew up in Tallahassee, but you know, we've seen firsthand what it's like to be a Seminole. You know, far away from home, right? It's it's not the easiest. It's not the easiest to connect with your alma mater when you're you know a plane ride and you know two pretty expensive hotel room stays uh, away from right. the team. So mm -hmm. it, it's great to hear you recognize that. Of like. As much as I love going to Dope Campbell, I mean, I I think what was my streak at one point, Drake? I think I went to twenty six home games in a row. Twenty seven. Um, twenty seven. Yeah, and it was like, <laughs> boy. yeah. So so missing them hurt at first, but yeah, you get to the point where it's like, hey, I'm going to make this commitment. You know, where is the benefit? So I'm I'm really excited to see what y'all what y'all come up with. Hey everybody, 
Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode. Please tune in tomorrow for part two of our interview with Michael Alford. There, we will be diving a little bit deeper into his relationship with Coach Mike Norvell. He'll be providing us a final booster pitch for those of you out there. And also, we get a little more personal. We discuss his career career at Mississippi State as a baseball player. And also, we discuss what it, what, it, what it takes for someone that you know wants to follow in his footsteps and what advice he gives out for those people that want to be where he is at today. So please, don't forget to rate, review, follow, like, share, subscribe, either on our podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast from. For Max and Dave... I'm Drake, and this is Locked on Seminoles. As always, take care, everybody.